Welcome to Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups. I'm Tracy Brown, the fraud-busting body language expert. I've spent the last 20 years reading people, uncovering secrets hidden in plain sight to find the truth in crimes, politics, and billion-dollar business deals. And I want you to be able to tell whose pants are on fire, make better decisions, and build your bottom line as well. Get ready. Let's dive in. It's Tracy. I'm back with Alex, super producer Alex. I'm here. Thanks for having me, Tracy. Yeah, and we are here with another fun-filled episode of Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups. Now, we have changed things up a bit, so there's going to be a little less chit-chat at the beginning of these. And we have moved those to a separate uh, type of episode. So this that is you can interview. ignore completely. Yes, you can, perfect you, that way. Yeah, yeah, you can ignore it. You can <laughs> listen to it. It is up to you because we have people on both sides of the fence who who like the chit chat. People that don't. So now you have a clear cut choice. Um, but for today, we have an why would interview. anybody not like our chit chat? I don't. I don't, I don't know. understand. I don't. We're don't fascinating know. to li- well. I'm fascinating to listen to, and you're okay. <laughs> I don't understand the problem here. I know, but you know what we're doing? We're chit-chatting again. We got to stop it. Yeah, we are. So go on. I, I think there's a congratulations in order for you, though. Is there not? There is. Oh, I'm just, so excited. You recently just got ranked the number five body language expert on the planet. How about that? You know what I have to say about that? Huh. Woohoo. <laughs> whoa, whoa. <laughs> he says woohoo because apparently i misspelled woohoo in my email signature there should be four o's there are only three that's the thing that jumped out and smacked me across the face uh and so i'm like well great you're a you know number five but you misspelled woohoo how could you let this happen i'm not number five in the spelling, spelling <laughs> Oh, that's good to know. So anyway, congratulations. I think that's fantastic. Thanks. Yeah. Global gurus named me number five. And actually, I'm the top woman, which is pretty cool. So and who um, are the global gurus? uh, It's a group that they they rank all kinds of experts every year. And I made it up to number five. That's great. Yeah. And all all of that um, will get and, and $5 will get me a cup of coffee. (laughs) <laughs> so check the link at the bottom uh, or not at the bottom just in the show notes right below we we have actually added a uh, a new option uh, because we do have expenses to keep this show up and running uh, it is not free although it's not that expensive uh, so a five dollar <laughs> coffee really gets us a long way we've got a little link down there you can click and it'll uh, and you can donate five dollars to the cause and buy us a cup of coffee and that'll keep us caffeinated and fueled enough to bring you another episode and another one after that we'd love your support so you can just find that link down in the show notes and uh, and thanks for that yeah and um, it, it lets us uh, talk to cool people like Leo we told her could you say that last name again? Are you uh, sure you're not misspelling that too? Um, I'm trying to not say it again because I'm <laughs> pretty sure I misspelled it or mispronounced it. <laughs> but Leah is awesome. She's in Tulsa and um, she's a she's a private investigator and a fraud examiner. And uh, she ran into a pretty interesting case with a pastor. A pastor. Okay. Yeah. I got to hear about this one. Yeah. Well, he, he, well, uh, the uh, highlight is when the pastor came to the door uh, for their meeting in his bathrobe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I usually do that too before 10 a.m. Oh, well, I, I don't know what time of day it was, but um, yeah, big embezzlement out of a little tiny church. 
Wow. Well, that's impressive that you could mm -hmm. run it all out of a tiny church or out of a church at all, for that matter. And where was she located? Tulsa, in the bad neighborhood of Tulsa, apparently. Tulsa. Well, at least there are plenty of churches. Down she didn't there, call it the bad neighborhood. She called it underserved. Huh. She's okay. much more politically correct than me. Um, but it, it, I tell you, it'll make you wonder if you're donating like to a good cause or not. Well, it's a good thing we just asked people to donate to our cause. Which is good. Yeah, it's very good. It's, you know, how far can you, you can't really miss with five bucks. It's not a real <laughs> big deal. <laughs> but I think in this case with uh, uh, the pastor and, and Leah, whose last name I cannot pronounce, uh, we're talking about a little bit more than $5 by a few orders of magnitude, am I not? Millions. Yeah, millions. Okay, millions, that's a different yeah. ballgame. Yeah, so Leah is going to fill us in on all of this, and she is just, she's a firecracker. I just loved her. Well, so, great. I so, like firecrackers. I know. So let's listen. <laughs> let's let's listen to Leah. Let's do that. Let's go right to it. Right. It's Tracy, and I'm super excited for my guest today on Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups, Leah Wheatholter. I think I got it right. Did I, did I say that right? You did. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I got in touch with you because I got a tip to get in touch with you from my friend Jackie James, who is, uh, you know, do you know Jackie? Yeah, 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 yeah. So she told me that I needed to get um, get in touch with you because not only are you fantastic just as an individual, but you have some really cool um, investigation training, which we're gonna get into. So why don't you tell us just a quick intro on you first? Sure, yeah, so I, um, got the bug to be an investigator when I was 12 years old oh. and that really like shaped my entire career. So I wanted to work for the FBI starting at a very young age mm -hmm. and I had that opportunity as an intern. So I interned with the FBI for 10 weeks on the East coast. Uh -huh. And then I actually got to spend the next two years here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, working under a forensic accountant at the local FBI, uh, resident agency. And after that, I worked in public accounting for a couple of years. And that's when in Tulsa, anyway, forensic accounting was becoming a requested service. Mm -hmm. And after splitting my time between forensic accounting and crazy tax seasons, uh -huh. I decided uh, to start Workman Forensics. And that was 11 years ago. And all we do at Workman is um, our fr fraud investigations, forensic accounting engagements, um, and then our trainings. Uh huh. Wow. Okay. So, so, so are you an accountant then? Cause, cause you're, so you are an accountant. So I have, I did this backwards. Okay. So I got an accounting degree because I wanted to be an FBI agent and that oh. was one of the areas they would um, select from. And so I decided, okay, I'll, I'll get an accounting degree, but I never actually wanted to be an accountant. And so when I decided to work in public accounting, um, cause I didn't really have a job at the bureau I really wanted to do, but I had discovered this area of forensic accounting. So I thought, well, maybe I'll go get some accounting experience and do what all quote unquote good accountants do go work in public accounting. Uh -huh. And although I wasn't excited about it at all, because I had my dream job at 21, uh -huh. I thought if, if I go work for a tax firm, at least I will know how to prep my own taxes. That was <laughs> how I decided that, um, like that would be a good life skill. So I, um, worked there and I started the CPA exam because I was working in public accounting, mm -hmm. hated it, did not want to do that. Um, but then they let me take the, uh, certified fraud examiners mm -hmm. test. And so I passed that. When I started working with forensics in Oklahoma to investigate fraud, you have to be a private investigator 
a CPA or an attorney. And so I wasn't a CPA at the time. And I mean, obviously I wanted to be a private investigator. So I Workman forensics is actually a private investigative agency. Okay. So fast forward to 2021. So last year, um, I had an opportunity to write a book. Uh, I had a book contract with Wiley publishers. Okay. So I started working on this book and I thought, you know, if I took the CPA exam, people might be more interested in this book. Okay. <laughs> so last year while writing a book, running my business, all the rest, <laughs> everything else that that entails. Uh-huh. I also sat and passed the CPA exam. Oh so, my gosh. Yeah. So hopefully by the time this podcast goes live, I will actually be able to say that I am a CPA, but as of today, it has, because of COVID, I have not officially been approved by the state board. Oh, wow. So now do you, real think close. You, do you think you passed? Yeah, I passed all the tests and they oh. should approve me. I've passed everything to this point. So I'm just waiting on them to say, Leah Wheatholter, you are a CPA. Oh my gosh. Okay. (laughs) Wow. So yeah, that's, that's a big deal. Like to get some letters behind your name, like for sure. I've done some of that. So it's a, it's a big like relief when you, when you get it done. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Now I'm really curious since you mentioned this, what's it like, like to be an intern with the FBI? Oh gosh. I had a blast. Um, So when I was on the East coast, I was assigned to the West Virginia criminal justice information systems that house the fingerprinting division. Uh-huh. And then they started housing like a lot of just the systems that uh, like law enforcement use to check backgrounds and things like that. So I don't really remember the unit that I was assigned to and what they did because it was really way over my head. But my intern coordinator at the time said, Hey, doesn't seem like you're getting a lot of work there what if I let you team up with this? I have this friend that's a local agent and you just like tag along with him. Uh, okay. Yeah. So I went and did like, I don't know. I found out later that I probably shouldn't have done all these things, but I ended up getting to um, go on interviews with him, subject victim mm-hmm. interviews, sat through a hearing, a sentencing hearing, just anything he was doing, a command post. Uh-huh. I got to, um, they well, a couple of command posts, but one day he invited me to join all these agencies and him as they were in a, uh, at this command post outside of a rally that was happening, a motorcycle gang rally. Oh, And so they were way off in a distance because they were, they're just like trying to make sure nothing crazy happens. Right. Okay. So there's this command post. And since I was in West Virginia, I just remember we were in this mobile home looking thing. I mean, I don't know what I envisioned when I thought command post, but it was not this like mobile home thing that had been like stripped out and there were just desks and offices, like desks in there and stuff and computers. But anyway, this was this command post and it was in the middle of nowhere, the woods in West Virginia. Oh, but there were all of these agents from different state agencies or from yeah, state and federal agencies and local agencies. And the best part of that day was they said, Hey, it's kind of cloudy, but do you want to ride in the helicopter? Sure. Um, <laughs> so I got to ride in the helicopter and they showed me like the FLIR system and all this, these fun things. So um, I think I kind of had a unique intern experience on the East coast. I don't know if, if, uh-huh. if any of the, if anyone listening to your podcast has ever been an intern with the FBI, they might be sad that they didn't get to do these things. I don't know. But, um, but then I remember one weekend, all of, all of us who were in West Virginia we were going to drive all of us were from the Midwest or West coast. Mm-hmm. And so we'd never been to New York. And so we wanted to go to New York city 
And so we were going to drive, it was like nine hours. So we were going to drive to New York city, but our section chief said, um, had told a couple of us like, Hey, I've got to go up to the command center and command post at the all-star game, which was in Pittsburgh. Oh, fun. And he said, do you want to go see the command post there? Uh-huh. Obviously. Yes. So my friend and I, we took a detour and we went to see the command center at and command post at the all-star game in Pittsburgh the year we were there. And that was so much fun. And I just remember walking, this would have been 2006. So I remember walking in to this room and they had these like large projector screens and they're showing us like stuff involving GPS, but none of it was real time. And we thought it was so cool. And so looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, this technology was rather limited. Um, but yeah, that was awesome. But then when I came to Tulsa, mm-hmm. I actually got to start working on white collar investigations. Um, okay. I worked under a forensic accountant. Now let's talk about this a little bit because um, I guess when you say that there's a command post at the all-star game, it makes sense to me, but I never considered it before. So I would assume like Super Bowl. Um, all of it. Did y'all just get like a hotel conference room and call it good and, and, and hook into your computer systems or like, what, what is it? It was, um, this was set up at the all-star stadium. Um, and it, yeah. So we actually got to see the stadium and, um, it was just a room at the stadium. I don't know. I've only been to two command posts, the all-star game. And then this one, like in the middle of nowhere, West Virginia. So I don't really know, but for major events, it's not uncommon that, Mm -hmm law enforcement is aware of an event happening. And so they just make sure that they're watching the events. So, wow. Um, well, cause you know, we had that guy at the all-star game, the baseball all-star game in uh, Denver and they found all those guns in his room. Do you remember that a couple of years ago? I don't remember that one. Well, yeah. And, and you know what happened is because, you know, the people who are going to do these kinds of things, I don't think they're like the sharpest knives in the drawer. And so what did he do? He didn't put the guns were all over the room. Didn't put the, Hey, we need, we don't want maid service sign up. And here comes the maid and reports them for all these guns. Like, really, this is like, that's basic. That's like criminal one Oh one anyway. So (laughs) you let's talk about some of the cases that you've worked on and some of this fraud that you've ended up finding. Like, tell us about that. Like what's, what's the craziest one. Oh gosh. I don't know. I, I always think the ones we're currently working are the craziest. So of course I can't talk about those, but, um, I, I knew that we were going to talk about this. So I was thinking about, um, one we had several years ago that involved a nonprofit and a really small church in Tulsa. Oh, and Tulsa, there is really like a church on every corner. Yeah. Um, I mean, that is probably not even an exaggeration. And so anyway, there's lots of churches around, but this church was in a, it was tiny. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was a gray cinder block building that Mm -hmm. was, I I can't even, they maybe had 30 to 50 members. I mean, very, very small. Okay. And it was in a very underserved um, population in Tulsa. And, but their pastor had a big vision and he wanted to create this community center for um, their area. Mm -hmm. And he wanted, I mean, it was like a four or $5 million build. It was going to be a fantastic community center with basketball courts and, you know, um, clothing mm-hmm. ministry and food and all these things. So he went, he and his closest members, they went and 
told this to all the foundations. Tulsa has a bunch of foundations, very philanthropic community. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The foundations got behind him, start in donating all this money. And he um, starts building this building, Mm -hmm. beautiful building. I mean, we're this area of Tulsa. It's very rundown. Sure. Like lots yeah, of there's there's some bad areas. news areas okay? in Tulsa, yeah, for sure. And then there's this beautiful five million dollar building that gets built. Mm-hmm. Well, so and he had a board of directors, but he was the pastor of the church and also the executive director of this new nonprofit. Okay, so <clears throat> he uh, they're working on it. Everybody seems happy with everything. Everybody's excited to open, and he goes back to one of the donors and says, "Hey, I'm going to need money for operations." And this donation says, we already gave you $500,000 for operating funds. Where did those go? And he's like, oh, well, you know, we had budget overruns or whatever. And so Mm -hmm. I need another 500,000. And she's like, yeah, but I mean, I just don't think you should have, that's not what I'm hearing about the build. Like this isn't really making sense. Uh So the foundation contacts the board and says, Hey, you know, we've got this issue. And he may have gone to one or two others too, trying to Uh get some operating funds because they were about to open when he started doing this. So he wasn't the boards, the board was like, yeah, this shouldn't be a problem. Well, the foundations having worked with organizations before they just said, well, we want an audit of your books. And so the board says, okay. So, you know, one person tells them one person leads to another, which leads to another, which ends up a phone call with me. And I, they start telling me about the situation. I said, yeah, we can look at it. And So I said, I need, you know, everybody always wants us to look at accounting records first. And I don't care about your accounting records until second. I want to look at the bank statements. I want to know where did money come from and where is it going? Okay. And when I started looking at the, so they got me the bank statements. And when I started looking at the bank statements, I just see a ton of transfers going to the church. Now, these two things were supposed to be totally separate. This was not a ministry of the church. It was a completely separate nonprofit Uh And it wasn't necessarily faith-based, like it was supposed to be completely separate. So I see all these transfers. And so I ask the treasurer about it. She doesn't know anything about it. Talk to the accounting firm. They're like, yeah, we don't really know what these are for. The pastor just tells us what they were for and we categorize them. Uh I said, okay. So I have, because I work for the bureau, I have some retired agents that are my friends. Uh And so I asked one of the retired agents, Hey, I'd like to interview this pastor um, would you come and help me interview him? Uh He says, okay. So I call the pastor, you know, will you come visit with us? Um, and actually, no, let me back up. That's not, that was the second interview. First interview, this agent and I just went to his house. Oh, okay. Just show up at his house. And it's like 11 o'clock in the morning Uh and he's in his bathroom when we get to his house at 11, (laughs) at 11. (laughs) Um, he had been as he'd kind of been put on administrative leave until the audit was over because they just didn't know what was going on. Uh And so I said, um, you know, Hey, we're just here to talk to you about some of these issues. And he's like, yeah, I mean, I'd be happy to talk to you about them, but I mean, I I don't know what you're talking about. Just deflected the whole thing. Um, my, you know, I was a little, this, this was fairly early in my career. So and especially with my own firm. And so I was a little taken back by the bathrobe thing. And so my (laughs) FBI agent veteran, you know, he, he's like, uh, would you like to go change before we talk? And he's like, Oh no, I'm good. So he did that. (laughs) Okay. 
So we have this whole discussion. He's not really helpful, but I continued to like, look at these records, try to find other ways of finding out what were these transfers. So I ended up talking to the treasurer. The treasurer says, you know, we were running, the church would purchase supplies Mm -hmm. and then the nonprofit would reimburse the church because, um, yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Church would purchase supplies. Uh Then the nonprofit would reimburse the church because the church could buy everything without, without sales tax. Oh. And so the church treasure, the church treasure, not the nonprofit treasure, church treasurer is telling me about this. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, great. So can I just see the church's bank statements so that I can see how that money was spent? Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, I don't know. And this congregation was so small and they all just adored this pastor. I yeah. mean, he was their leader uh-huh. and they were very protective of him. And he said, uh, I don't know. And I said, okay, how about this? How about I, I'll come to the nonprofit office and you just log in and I'll look over your shoulder and I'll just ask you, what did this transfer on this do? And we'll just look right there. Uh-huh. You don't have to turn anything over to me. Uh-huh. Okay. So I go, I do this and I can see pretty immediately that there's not a whole lot of expenses. There's actually like payments to the pastor out of this. Uh-huh. So, or for other things that were not nonprofit related, we get yeah. through maybe a month and the church treasurer says, you know what? I think I'm done. Because oh, <laughs> so um, I call the pastor one more time and I said, would you please come meet with my agent? buddy and me. Uh, oh. He wasn't an agent at the time, but will you come meet with me and let me just show you. Oh my gosh. I turned this. I'm so sorry. You're important. People are calling. No, probably the pastor. He knows you're talking about probably. <laughs> I just don't know why this isn't. Okay. Maybe that one will work. I'm so sorry. All right. No, that, that's I can on. start that line over. Um, uh, so, so the, um, hang on. Oh, so I can start with, I called the pastor to, yeah, yeah, yeah. You call the pastor. Okay. All right. So I made a list of these transactions. I knew that they had gone to the church. And so I had just made a list of some things I was concerned about or mm-hmm. that didn't look right. So I called the pastor back and said, Hey, will you just come to the office and let me identify, let me show you what I'm looking at. Okay. So I put that in front of him. He agrees. I put it in front of him and I said, can you explain where this money went? And he said, Oh my gosh, I probably need to call the bank. I was like, why? He said, because I think the bank made a mistake. Like, have you thought about maybe the bank was stealing money from us? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. Mm, No. So we get through this whole interview where he basically blames the bank. Mm -hmm. And at that point, like I knew Uh he, he knows exactly where this money went. And so I ended up preparing a report on very limited evidence, Uh but because of the little I had seen um, and could get to, and because they were a church, they were really, the pastor was really betting that, well, church records are protected. So you can't get to our records. Oh, That's what he was really like trying to hang his hat on. Uh So I asked the board, could I contact an agent at the FBI that I worked with that worked white collar crimes that I would uh, prepare. And could I contact him? And then they could start working this case too, since I couldn't get access to the 
to all the information to really connect all the Mm -hmm. dots. Mm -hmm. And they said, sure. And so I contacted him. They started working it. I had identified, I was pretty sure that there was about $500,000 that had been misappropriated, Mm -hmm. which would make sense because that was the operate. Those were the needed funds. Yeah. Yeah. That made sense. Well, once the bureau got the entire information and once the forensic accountant who, you know, was my mentor, put the whole thing together, there was about a million dollars that had been siphoned out of this 5 million. They had raised like 5.5 and he had Uh siphoned a million dollars out of this project. And he put in a retaining wall at his house. He bought like fur coats and gloves and a car. And yeah, I was um, I was curious. What, what did he show up driving? Yeah. He showed up in a Lexus, which I ran the plates and they, it wasn't even his car. So that was a little confusing. So I think maybe he was out of money by that point, Uh but he told, um, he told, I don't remember who he told. Oh, I think he told the board that he finally told the board in the middle of all of this, that his wife had cancer and that it was bad. And so that's why he had started stealing. Uh However, the majority of the money, like maybe he did start stealing, but we didn't see where there were medical bills paid. Uh It was really, I don't know, maybe buying things made him feel better. I don't know, but he started doing that. And sadly his wife did pass away shortly before his sentencing hearing, but he was, he was sentenced. Um, the U S attorney's office here in Tulsa, they did a whole press release on this one because of the communities that were affected and that he had raised money from all of these, you know, very philanthropic organizations and mishandled Mm -hmm. their funds. And so then shortly thereafter, there was a sentencing hearing. I mean, they went through the whole process, but I got to go to the sentencing hearing and he was actually sentenced to the maximum time, which was three years. Uh-huh. So, well, you know, okay. So, so here's a question. So, so you think, I mean, a pastor has automatic like social credibility, right? So what could have been done beforehand before they gave the money? Like, is there anything uh, that's, that's like a, a red flag from a donor's perspective that, that you've seen? Um, I, I think that it really fell to like how the organization was structured. So mm-hmm. after the donors made that donation and perhaps the donors could have worked out a deal where I've never seen this done, but maybe the donors could have said, Hey, every month we want copies of your bank statements or whatever. And then the donors could review it, but really how it was um, structured is what I think was the most concerning because you have this pastor of the church that's running the church controls, the church uh, controls that bank account as well. And then all the influence he has on his members who was also the executive director of this project And so it's kind of like putting a bookkeeper in your business or controller in your business and they handle everything Uh We have the same situation here. And so while I don't fault the board at all, um, I think just the original structure of all of this could, it could have been structured, um, in a better way where Mm -hmm. one person isn't controlling everything. Got it. Got it. Okay. So, um, I know you have more stories and we're, we'll get to hopefully a couple, but cause that was fascinating with the pastor. I mean, you know, something's wrong when the pastor shows up in his bathroom anyway. Okay. So so tell us about the investigation game that you're, that now did you create it? Yes. Okay. So the investigation game is an, it started out and we still have it. It, It's called the case of the man cave is this episode of the investigation game Uh because we have several episodes and, um, or stories. And it started off as an actual tabletop card game. 
I hired a tabletop card game designer and he took one of my cases Mm -hmm. and we worked together. Um, My team and I worked with the designer to create an actual card game that it's a uh, cooperative card game. So you actually play in teams of four to five Uh and uh, you work an embezzlement investigation. Now we created this so that it would um, qualify or be recommended for continuing education. So we're a NASBA sponsor. Okay. And um, so the way the actual event works, whenever we're presenting this to other professionals for continuing education is that it actually starts with a 10 minute presentation about the standard of objectivity Uh and its use in the investigation process. And then groups have 65 minutes to play this game. So kind of like an escape room, you only have this many minutes to escape, but you have 65 minutes to quantify the loss and find recoverable assets from this embezzlement case. Uh And it's a large embezzlement case. And then the ending presentation is about 15 to 20 minutes Um, and it provides the solution and then real case facts so that you can kind of know what actually happened in the case. So all in all, it's a 100 minute experience. So we were scheduled to present this in so many places in 2020, Mm. right? (laughs) We had, we started creating it and beta testing in 2018. We were ready to go scheduling events in 2020 when obviously everything was shut down. So we pivoted, we took another case story, and then we created um, another episode of the investigation game that's completely virtual. It's called Case of the Cash Flow Fiasco. Oh, and wow. that one is based on fraud risks whenever customers have poor cash flow. And it the case itself involves a lender, but it's really applicable to any type of business that has customers or yeah, just customers. So um So that one's a lot of fun. And that one is either like a one or two hour. Well, we learned that not everyone loves playing virtual games for continuing education. So we kind of pivoted again. And so we took both stories independently and we've now created interactive case studies where we use um, motion graphic video and um, just lovely like elements that you would need for a case, but they're all digital and Excel spreadsheets and everything. And as I present the presentation, we also work through this case study together. And so last year we debuted this interactive case study, the case of the cash flow fiasco at the global ACFE fraud conference. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. One of the highest rated presentations. So it's a lot of fun. And this way people can have that interaction and, or, you know, with the presentation, it makes the 100 minutes go by pretty quickly and um, be part of this case story and practice working an investigation, but you're not competing with anyone and you don't have to be graded or have a score. So that's been a lot of fun. Wow. So then, um, who, who do you mainly like, who, who hires you for this? Is it chapters like ACFE chapters or is it, um, like who, who is it? Yeah. Um, so internal audit chapters, mm-hmm. um, IMA chapters, CPA chapters and mm-hmm. ACFE chapters for sure. Mm-hmm. And then also just organizations, um, who are looking for internal training for maybe their internal, internal audit team or accounting staff. Oh, cool. Okay. And so they can call you to, to learn more and book. And, um, while we're on that, what's the best way to get in touch with you? So the best way is to contact me at Leah at workmanforensics.com. Okay. So that's cool. Okay. Um, that sounds super fantastic. I, I love the sounds of that game. So um, 
other fraud stories you got any oh gosh yeah um there's so many and i i I mentioned that i wrote a book last year and so i've actually had to go through and think about all these so i've got several coming to mind um probably one of my favorites and it did make it into the book it's um it's I, i call it the case of the mom of the year oh and yeah and uh, this lady was working for a small credit union and she was the controller or the internal accountant. And this credit union was so small that they didn't like process all of their own, uh, checks and deposits and everything. They would collect from customers, prepare a deposit slip, and then take it to the bank, just like any business would. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So that's how that was processed, but they had a system that tracked all of their members accounts. Well, anyway, um, one day she was out of the office. Her kids were sick. I think one of her kids had some sort of health issue. So she was out quite a bit during a certain period of time. And she was out so much that one of the other tellers had to kind of pick up her role Mm -hmm. and job. And so she starts putting everything together and it was the end of the month and she needed to reconcile their books, just like you would reconcile it checkbook. She had to do that for the credit union Mm -hmm. and, but it was all the members money and she couldn't get it to tie out, which is very concerning. If you don't have all of your members money in the bank account where it's supposed to be. Uh And, um, so that led to someone giving him the president, my name. I started looking at the information and we identified that by looking at the bank statements and the, particularly the deposit slips, what we noticed was if we looked at the deposits for the day, it would say we had this much in cash and this much in checks. And Mm -hmm. then that should match the deposit slip for the day that she would then take to the bank. Mm -hmm. What we found was that she would either cross out the cash amount if someone else had prepared the deposit Uh or she just wouldn't list cash on there at all. So she was just a pretty simple scheme. She was just siphoning the cash and then taking the checks to the bank. Well, because this is a credit union, they have annual audits. So she needed to make sure that everything tied, you know, someone was actually going to be looking at some of this. Uh So on her reconciliation, and this is a little technical, I guess, but on her reconciliation, um, you know, there's always, there are typically deposits or checks that haven't cleared the bank, Mm -hmm. but they're posted in your system. So you're going to have a little bit of a a discrepancy. Mm -hmm. So on the reconciliation, there's a space for this. And so she was just plugging that number, whatever she needed that number to be, to make everything tie out. She just plugged that number. Uh-huh. So they didn't, the manager president didn't even believe she was stealing by the way. Uh-huh. Uh, he just thought, oh, she's just dumb. And she's too dumb to steal is what he told me. Oh yeah. Um, and there's no way she's too dumb. She's too honest. Like she's a mom. She's a great mom, all this stuff. Uh-huh. So I finally convinced him. No, look like. I, she's stealing this cash. Well, uh-huh. I don't know. So I was actually, we don't really work on site at clients anymore, mm-hmm. but this was pretty early in my career. So I'm sitting at the, this conference room and they had given me a bunch of her reconciliations attached to bank statements. And I start, I'm flipping through, just looking at some stuff. And I notice that one of the sets doesn't feel quite right. And I'm like, wait a second. And this particular bank has a very specific color of red and the red wasn't quite right. And then they always hole punch your statements. And like, that's how you get them in the mail. Uh And these, this one wasn't hole punched. So I had the president contact the bank, get a copy of 
those month statements that looked strange like that, compared them, and she had actually altered the bank statements. So, she, and and it was pretty primitive too. I mean, now in 2021 or tw- I guess 2022 now, so 2022, it's pretty easy. I mean, should I say that? I mean, surely people know that it's pretty easy to alter <laughs> something like a bank statement. Of course, we also have more secured features in these uh-huh. bank sure. statements as well. But I mean, this would have been like. 2012, maybe uh-huh. I mean, that's kind of difficult back uh-huh. then. Um, or maybe, yeah, probably 2012, 2013. So anyway, she, um, so we see all of this loss, quantify the loss. President finally believes us once he sees the fake bank statements. I mean, uh-huh. that's what really sealed the deal for him. And he's like, what do we do next? So I start quantifying, okay, how much did she actually steal? And I said, well, if she hasn't figured this, you know, if she, if she'll talk to us, that would be the best way. Cause then we can kind of figure out like, uh-huh. what was she doing and how can we adjust this stuff back where uh-huh. it should be? And so my same, actually same retired agent that I mentioned in the story with the pastor, yeah. I also called him and I said, Hey, you want to go do like another knock and talk with this lady? <laughs> so we drive out to this one was middle of nowhere, Oklahoma. So we drive out middle of nowhere, Oklahoma. You gotta be careful out there. I know I've, I've been so out I there brought an agent with me, retired agent. So we pull up to this house and it's a really, really nice, adorable country home uh-huh. to, you know, several stories, whatever. And we knew how much she made. And I think she might've been going through a divorce at the time too. So, or her husband wasn't working. Like there was definitely a strain on the finances at this uh-huh. time as well, but we pull up and it is just beautifully decorated, just really nice country house. Uh-huh. And, um, so we pull up, she answers and we said, you know, can we talk to you? We've been working with the credit union, blah, blah, blah. She says, well, I've hired an attorney, so I need to go call him first, but why don't you come in sit down? So we go in, sit down. And while she's talking to her attorney, we both just noticed that this house is just decorated so well, but I mean, it is like floor to ceiling, wall to wall decorated, but not like in a hoarder way, but just definitely over the top. And like, like Chip and Joanna, but but like more like, Oh, oh. like, like lots of hobby log. I don't know, but it was still kind of like tastefully done and felt like at home, but it was Uh just a lot. Like you have to spend a lot of money on this. Okay. And, um, so we're kind of like, okay, this is kind of interesting. You know, I, cause everybody always wants to know, like, what did they do with the money? And so anyway, she comes back and she says, my attorney advises me not to talk to you. I'm not going to talk to you. Well, anyway, the agent just says, you know, here's my experience and kind of lays it out. Like if you're ever willing to talk, please talk to us, whatever. So Mm -hmm. we leave, we prepare the report um, because it was a federally insured institution that went over to the FBI. I made the referral to the FBI. They work the case. And the reason I call this the case of the mom of the year, she stole around $90,000 and she pled to it. in the period of time we looked at, and she had worked here a really, really long time. Mm -hmm. But the reason I call her the mom of the year is that she did spend a ton of money making her home, this home that maybe she never had. I mean, that's really what this looked like. And then her kids were involved in every activity. And if they needed money for this or money for that, she just would pull cash out and, you know, take care of all the friends and and all of that. And so she, she's just an interesting story to me because she stole not, she stole basically to be this mom of the year. And I just find that really fascinating, like for her to feel like she was this type of person. Well, yeah. You know, when, um, 
so so I, I've been working on my own uh, TV show in in uh, in Hollywood, and it, and it's it's about fraud and the and the lies, and the the thing that's most interesting, the thing that that my writer kind of told me right from the first, she's like, look, here's the deal: stealing money is boring, extra boring. What is interesting is the motivation behind it. So, mm-hmm. um, so I totally get that. Any other interesting motivations that you've heard? Because there's like kids getting sick, right? And and that that's what you hear about, like with bank tellers a, a, a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then there's just being the cool guy, right? So uh, like buying all your buddies beers at the Packers game, and um, and clearly mom of the year. Any other interesting ones you've heard? Yeah. Um, one that's actually part of case of the man cave, uh, mm-hmm. our investigation game, that guy loved to just buy things that brought his buddies to his house uh-huh. or around him. He really loved being, that's why we call it the case of the man cave. Yeah. Like he had to stock this man cave, but he stocked it with things like the little small race cards. It's called like the chili bowl. I don't, I don't know. Those. I'm not familiar with this, but apparently oh. it was just a couple of weeks ago. It's a big thing here but they're like these smaller race cars and you race indoors and it's a small track. And anyway, he would like buy and sponsor these chili bowl, uh, race cars uh-huh. and drivers. And, um, he bought trucks and boats. He bought uh, one of a kind firearms. He had one that was imported from France, never fired the firearm. He just bought them so his buddies could shoot them. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, and if you're going to have race cars, I mean, he built a metal building on his property to house all of this stuff for his buddies to hang out at. So, that was, that's a really interesting one. Um, another one is just trying to get like stealing money to try to create prestige, to get on the board of different organizations or to have different positions, you know, of prestige. And another one that I talk about in the book too, is, um, in the book, I call him Jeff. And I was just reading this last night where, cause I had to page proof this stuff, but I, um, So Jeff actually stole because he had told him he didn't have the opportunity to go to college. And so he was determined and he told all of his kids that he would put them all through school. Like everyone was going to get their college education paid for. He wanted them to focus on their studies. And so Uh he bought them all cars. And I think they were like newer cars. Uh And then he, all of them went to private universities. So they were very expensive and he didn't have the money. And so he started stealing from his employer and stole over $650,000. Oh boy. Oh my gosh. Well, 650,000 will barely get you one uh, degree these days. No, no. <laughs> much less a bunch of kids. Okay. So, um, one, one last tip that people can use to protect themselves. Got anything? Yeah. So if you're a business owner, just make sure that you're looking at the bank statement every month, especially those check images. Do you recognize the payees on those, um, check images? And do you recognize even if it's just an electronic transaction, do you recognize those transactions? And then if you have one person handling everything, you need to fix that. If one person's handling everything, that is such a a huge risk. Yeah. If nothing else, just dual signatures on the checks um, at, at the very minimum. So um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like the amount of ways that there are to, to steal. And um, while we on the podcast can be fascinated by it, it's uh, it, it often just doesn't, doesn't take a whole lot to dissuade people from, from doing that, but you got to pay attention or you pay with pain. I say that in my keynotes all the time. So Leah, what's the name of your book? So people can, and when's it coming out? Do you know? Yeah. Um, it's called data sleuth using data in forensic accounting and fraud investigations. And it comes out April 11th. 
Okay. April 11th. So that is yeah. coming right up. That's like yeah. really soon. So make sure you uh, let me know when that's coming out. I'll make sure I'll post about it. And yeah. um, so it's Leah at workmanforensics.com. Thank you yeah. so much for coming on Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups. You're just a gem. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. Thanks for joining me. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it. I'll see you next time.